Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's amazing to have you viewing or listening um, during this time, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, I've been making a point to connect with different people uh, who supply the industry as well as in the industry um, of of great quality. So it's fantastic to have Justin Ostrom, uh, the founder, co-founder, family founder of Aquateca Cider. This incredible cider. Um, which I got the pleasure of um, getting from your from your father, Steve, yesterday, Justin. So thank you for that, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, it's 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 amazing to have you on. I'm very much um, a big believer in small term producers, and especially family stories. Um, my I haven't told you this, but my family has actually had a um, a fruit orchard for. Um, uh, just over just over forty years, actually. Just over. It was actually my my parents actually purchased it um, uh, just before I was born, um, and it's been a it's been a um, annoyance in my family because my my older brother and sister have their names as part of the orchard, and because I wasn't born, my name is not part of the orchard. So um, <laughs> you missed it's, out. Been, it's been a bugbear. So, um, but after that, uh, it's uh, look. I've been in and around fruit my whole life um and uh amazing to see and hear from your dad yesterday about uh, the amazing work you're doing with aquateca uh in the yarra valley in victoria do you want to talk to me about how maybe the the brand actually started out and uh and yeah where you're at at the moment yeah so how the brand started was um our family have been apple growers in the yarra valley for a very long time um and a lot of people don't know this, but in the Yarra Valley in particular, people know it as a wine region. Yes. But in fact, it's an incredible region for growing apples. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's warmer than warmer than, uh, than Burgundy, cooler than Bordeaux. So it's, it's a really great region for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started out as orchardists a really long time ago. And uh, like, I think probably in the 80s, my parents were working on this orchard and you know, they realized that there was just no money within the fruit industry. Mm. So they went out and, and got um, other jobs and they were working full time. And the orchard was actually more of a side hustle for right. them. And yeah. in many ways, kind of a bit of a burden. So even me growing up there, like on weekends, you know, there's a lot of kids that go out and they, they're playing Nintendo or whatever it is. And I was working in the orchard, picking apples, pruning trees, cutting grass, things like <laughs> so that. So many similarities so, to our, our life. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. You, you, it's more of a, I call it a dictatorship. Yes. Um, <laughs> you will go out today for five hours and pick fruit. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, we had this orchard and it was really there. And um, my dad was working full time mm-hmm. and I'd left the orchard. I realized there was no, no money in it. So I left and went on to another industry. Mm-hmm. And when my dad got a bit older, he had really gotten over the corporate life and he really wanted to just just work in the orchard a bit more and get the family involved back into it and really live more of a, a simple kind of life. So at that stage, our trees were very, very old mm-hmm. and we had to tear them down and start over again. Right. So in doing so, we started researching in different ways of growing fruit. And mm-hmm. when we were looking at it, we, we realized that there's, there's not a lot of money in fruit, so we really need to look at how to, how to really maximise that. So 
we started researching and found out that there was a lot of growers in the US who had been doing espalier trees. So mm -hmm. they grow their fruit on a tree, much like a vineyard. Yes. And um, so, so it's like an, it's like that, an, it's like an a V formation, right? Is that yeah, right? So you can do it, mm. you can do it in a V. Um, mm -hmm. We do ours on like a straight, um, like just across. So it's almost mm -hmm. like a, uh, oh, like a vertical stripe. Mm -hmm. um, so it just goes up. Um, so when we were researching that, a lot of the growers that were doing the espalier trees, they were making cider. Um, mm. And the reason for that was because they were really getting a lot of fruit for, per tree. Um, so when you think of a traditional tree, it grows up and around. Mm. Um, but when you grow it in espalier, you can plant a lot more trees closer together and you're really cutting out a lot of useless limbs. Mm -hmm. So that really sparked the conversation for us thinking, well, we can we can really make a lot of fruit from this and we can have a really thriving orchard. Mm. And if there's all these producers in the U S that are really doing well out of this, then there's got to be something in that. Mm. Um, so we started thinking about ways in turning the apples into cash. Um, and so we ripped down the orchard mm -hmm. and we started planting the espalier trees and we really got involved in that way. So I was working a full-time job in a totally other industry <laughs> and uh, on the weekend, back to my roots, like working, yeah, right. uh, planting trees, helping out the farm. And it really started that way. And when we got the trees, uh, we started researching into cider. And at that stage, it was, it was very commercially based. So yes. low, low alcohol, high sugar, a lot mm. of farm apples and trees on brands and mm. very commercial. And we really then was looking like, where can we learn how to make great cider? Mm -hmm. And so from learning that, we learned that in the UK, there was a really great um, level of expertise and their own particular style of cider. And they did great courses. So dad went over to the, to the UK a number of times and really learned how to make a very crafty new world cider. Mm. Um, so meaning like using a lot of dessert apples um, mm -hmm. and things like that. So after many times going back and forth, we'd learned how to make it. And then dad came back and taught, taught me. And, uh, and then we started really experimenting with a lot of different ciders and things like that. So that's how we really got started. Um, so it was definitely kind of, I got involved definitely by default. Yes. <laughs> It's just never a bad thing, is it, Justin? Um, yeah, it's, it's great because I, I was working in a different industry and I thought my trajectory in life was going down that path and, and it, it changed very quickly. Was it, was it hard to spend the weekends at the orchard? Or was it something that you'd sort of look forward to on a Friday that you knew that you were going to spend the weekend with your family and, and do some labor <laughs> and that kind of stuff? I'm sure it wasn't always like that in the, you know, the winter <laughs> months and that kind of stuff, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember the first day I was working out there and I remember thinking, this is a pit of a job <laughs> uh, and I'm so glad I don't do this full time. That's what I actually thought. Right. And over, over, over time, uh, you know, you definitely sit at your, your desk and you, you think, oh God, I think there's a lot more to life than, than that. And you definitely mm. resonate with a lot of things you grew up with. So mm. that, was, uh, that was definitely happening to me. What was... Um when your dad was going over to the UK and learning and obviously I imagine creating networks um, of people who were doing the same thing, I imagine all over the world, like what was the biggest revelations that he was coming back with when he came back to Australia that sort of blew your mind as, you know, cause you guys have been in 
orchards for a long time. So, you know, that's right. Yeah. Mm. So the biggest thing that came out of that was that you can make a, a cider that doesn't hurt your teeth or make you feel sick. Uh, so that, <laughs> yes, yes. That, uh, that, that new world cider is definitely something that, uh, that was the biggest revelation was that, it doesn't have to be one particular way of making cider. And I think there's a lot of producers um, and the big brewers in particular that actually do a very sugary cider. So it really made us really question um, everything going on. And the, the crazy thing for us was that at that time in particular, we had learned to, um, to, to grow trees a lot differently. We learned how to make cider and, and drink cider in a very different way. And the biggest revelation that came up to us was that why does the industry have to be so black and white? Mm. Um, which is interesting because our branding is black, black and, and white. white. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but, you know, it really made us really question our brand and, and think, okay, well, what, what is it that we want to create? And the biggest mm. thing we came back with is that no matter where you are all over the world is that all the packaging is just apples and trees and farm. So, yeah. It was really, it's a really boring category and that it can definitely be reinvented. Mm. So that's really the biggest revelation. And that's how we really got our really unique branding um, from that was, was traveling the world and realizing that cider isn't so black and white. Was it, was it, because when I, you know, did some research into the branding, branding is completely different. Like this is not, this is, um, it's very boutique. It's very bespoke. Mm. It's very cool. Um, I, I immediately felt cooler drinking it last night. Um, <laughs> That's you, what I want to hear. <laughs> did you? Was that a hard thing to get your family across the line on? Because I imagine whoever engaged with the brand company who did this was definitely left of centre, um, especially a name which I, you know, took five minutes to try and make sure I could pronounce properly. Um, like, was that was that hard to get your family over the line? And this would be the brand moving forward. Do you, do you know, that was probably the easiest thing. Um, really? And I wow. say that because uh, the person who did the branding was actually my brother. Mm. And so he's worked in advertising for a really long time um, and very, very left field in terms of the way that he thinks. And he's done some really incredible ads that are very weird. Yep. And so for him, when he really presented this to us, it was really easy and it was a no-brainer for us to really look at a brand and go, this is so different and this will spark a conversation. And even the name that you can't pronounce and people have to inquire mm. and listen into and think about a bit more, it really sparks the conversation just in general. Like, yeah, what is point. this? Is this a cider and what is it in the industry? And it really sparks that conversation. So for us, having him in the family is like a very, um, it, it's, a, it's a great left hook. But mm. Uh, mm. It, it was an easy it was an easy thing to to do that what does the name come from by the way it's a very unique name um so in the process of making a new world cider there's a lot of water involved um so the word aquiteca is a play on words so aqui being water um mm -hmm. and really the water comes from the fact that the yarra valley rainwater is really what ignites the brand it's what feeds our apples and it's really a really big part of our process mm -hmm. So, and then when you look at the label, like for those listening, um, the label is laser cut and there's laser cut holes, which represent mm. apples and it represents oh, repetition. That makes sense. Now. Yeah. 
it's such a repetitious process making cider and it's very seasonal. So for us, um, the name Tech Art was about technology and, and creating that brand. So it's a play of words, Arqui and Tech Art, water and technology. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, yeah, it was just amazing when I looked at the branding yesterday and I was um, uh, just was extremely impressed. So well done. Um, Thank you. How, how do you guys find being in the Yarra Valley um, just as a whole? I mean, obviously, we've got such great providors in that, in that area. We, you know, we talk about wine and I think a bit like Margaret River or Barossa Valley or Hunter Valley, like most people will think about it with wine, but there are so many other providors which sit underneath um, those wine regions like yourself. Um, Yarra Valley Dairy comes to mind as a great providor. Um, That's right, yeah. Um, like... How has it been part of that family? Does it feel like a big, big family down there? It's very unique. Um, so the, the interesting thing is, is that when I was growing up, the, the wineries weren't really there that much. There was really, really? Coldstream Hills and there was really yep. Domaine Chandon. And there wasn't much in between that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was always known as strawberries, apples, a little bit of grapes, but it was yep. a very mixed um, mixed realm. Mm-hmm. Now the Yarra Valley is a totally different world. It's predominantly known as a wine region. Um, and there's a lot of exciting things happening out there. And I think that's the great thing about being in the Yarra Valley is there is a lot of energy coming out of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned Yarra Valley Dairy. There's Yarra Valley Caviar, Four Pillars Gin. There's us. There's mm-hmm. other great winemakers. There's restaurants. It's a very exciting place to be a part of. Mm be in the world right now i think Mm. it produces such yeah and and i think like the great thing about being in the arab valley is because of the climate it really it it has so much innovation there because no matter where you are in the world and if you're a farmer or a winemaker or whatever you are somewhere where there is really harsh weather conditions Mm -hmm. and that that really creates a lot of a lot of strength in people and a lot of tenacity because you you're working a lot with the elements all day long. So your resilience is a lot, it's a lot harder already. So going into business is a very natural progression from that. Mm. Talk to me about how once you guys had, you know, sorted out the process of what the brand was going to be about, the taste and all that kind of thing. um, How did you bring it to market? Because when I was talking with your dad, Steve, yesterday, I said, are you guys using wholesalers to bring this product to market? And he's like, no. Um, you know, he delivered it to me personally, which I thought was so much fun. And he was telling me, you know, the different um, restaurants and bars that you guys supplied to in Melbourne, um, uh, some of which I was um, not surprised with after I tried the product um, in, the quali- <laughs> in the quality of venues you're actually supplying to. Um, why have you guys gone down that route of being almost a direct to consumer brand and, you know, doing hand to hand? kind of combat here and getting this brand out to market how did you build it so this is probably the most unique part about our brand was that uh we started our brand in 2016 mm-hmm. and we got everything ready we got all our line, ducks lined up we we'd had a distributor ready to go everything was perfect in terms of a branding exercise we had a lot of problems with production um, right. and just getting our product in the bottle. And mm-hmm. at that time, there wasn't many contract bottlers that would do it for us. So finding the right one was a very hard thing to do anyway. And so mm-hmm. we finally worked out a way to get it into a bottle. Mm. And 
everything was going great and we're ready to go. And then one day we came to our property and somebody had come in and vandalized our whole property. Oh, they had no. tipped out all our cider. Oh. They had smashed all the bottles. They turned on all our water. So we had no water. We had no cider. We had no product. We had nothing. So, wow. Wow. And you hadn't yeah. even got to market yet. Hadn't even got to market. Uh, and so the interesting thing from that was that we were faced with a, with a thing in front of us that we were like, okay, we've, we've literally lost everything. We are a million dollars in debt and wow. there is no way out of this. And then we were like, oh, it's okay. Like we'll have insurance to fall back on. And then insurance fell through. Insurance didn't want to pay for it. So we literally had nothing. Our life just went overnight from being insanely great and very exciting to the next day being very traumatic. And uh, so the way we brought it to life was we, we had to start again. We had no other option. It was either sell our property mm. or we have to start again somehow. So what we did was uh, we had a few, few, we were lucky that it was just coming into the, the cider season or the apple season, sorry. Mm -hmm. And, we had to wait on it until the apples were ready and we went into further debt and we owed more suppliers money and it was spiraling very quickly. Um, but we managed to press some apples and make some, some, do some ferments, which was great. And mm -hmm. we worked with a lot with our suppliers and went on payment terms with them. Um, and we, we were very transparent about what had happened with this and some were great and some weren't so great. Yeah. You'll find um, that. And yeah. Mm. So, what happened was we had to start again and it was very scary. And when we finally were able to get our product in a bottle, we, we just had to go out there from pound to pavement. We didn't have the money to pay a distributor. So that's really how our business was really built from direct to direct to consumer really. Um, and we have a great online business now and it's thriving. Mm -hmm. um, but really we had to start from one carton here and there. And it was, it was quite interesting because, we, we had no money and we had no customers and it was very, and we'd, we'd been kicked as well. So mm -hmm. going out there and selling our product to, to the restaurants and things like that, it was, it, it needed a lot of confidence and it was very hard to do in the beginning um, sure. just to go out there and knock on doors when you just lost everything um, and you're getting 55 phone calls a day about where their money is. Um, so that's why we went down that route it wasn't actually by intention it just happened because it was more circumstantial mm. um and i and i think even right now there's a lot of people that are probably facing very similar situations with the covid19 yeah most so definitely. yeah yeah so that that in a nutshell that's uh that is why we went down that route it's an amazing story i didn't realize that and um uh yeah, I had a similar experience, not vandalism, but um, but liquidation. And I remember having to go through that process of talking to all my creditors about how much money I owed them and how I was going to pay them back over a period of time and all that kind of stuff. So I understand where you've been from that standpoint. It's very um, humbling. Um, but yeah, you're lucky as I did that you've got family to pull you through, right? It's, um, it's, um, it's, a, it's a massive blessing in those kind of times, you know? Yeah, and it was it was extremely hard. I, I I'll never forget the day where we like I, I had I had left my job to do this full time and um it was a high paying sales exec role and mm. it was great. 
And then I, I, I went to find another job and I couldn't find a job. It was just that time of the year. Mm-hmm. And I had taken a job that paid $45,000, which barely paid my bills. Wow. And my dad had no money. So it was me and my dad together. We had nothing to our name. Um, yeah. And I remember one day dad had to deliver uh, a case of cider and, and he said, oh, I haven't got any petrol. I've only got enough petrol to get me there. And I hadn't been paid. And I remember saying to him, just take the carton there. And what will happen is that someone, hopefully, fingers crossed, will pay. And if not, then I'll, you know, round up the, the, some money from my, everyone in my office and put it into your bank account so you can get petrol to get home. And thankfully oh, wow. that day, we, we had a payment come through. So it was, it was really hard. Yeah, I think between the two of us, we had $4. Um. There's two questions from that. I want to know your first customer and how it felt to get your first customer. Uh, yeah, that was really interesting. So our first customer was a bar in Brunswick called Joey Smalls. Mm-hmm. And there, I, I knew a guy that, um, that actually used to be a part owner in it. And I, I, when I was younger, I knew him. And uh, my brother actually teed it up. And when I got there, we made the connection. And, um, and the great thing was that, the girl that I had the interview with was a really great girl called Lou and she was from the UK. So she Mm -hmm. really understood. um, She understood new world cider and she was very cool. I, and Mm. and even to this day, she's, she's a really good friend of mine. (laughs) And I remember I, I like got dressed. I remember I got like, I, I remember I had an iPad, I had everything and I was trying to like, look like I had so much money and I had, and it was, it was crazy. And I remember we just had this great chat with her and uh and we're still in joey smalls and since then lou's moved on and she's at pope joan in the city and now we have pope joan as a customer so amazing venue it felt it felt great and i remember just calling my dad and saying oh my god we, we got a customer and but i'll never forget when i went into Barlarinha. i i remember <laughs> i walked out and i cried i was so happy because yeah. they were like yeah we'll take a case now and i i went into my car and i cried wow another great venue so you've you're in um uh, when your dad told me you were an Atlas yesterday and I was like, far out. Okay, this is serious. That's, um, a, that's a very cool venue, right? You're, you're, in, you're in some premium venues. Um, yeah, I mean, Ballerina is, is hands down probably one of the top five venues. I think it's probably one of the most underrated venues in Victoria. And, um, and great. you know, amazing food. Um, when I used to be um, uh, working for someone who supplied bread there, like they're just amazing people. So. Um, there you go. Um, the second yeah, very, part, very beautiful, very lovely people. I remember the the guy who owned it and his wife were just. <clears throat> I just remember that was so lovely to me, and yes. I just I'll never forget that, and that's why I cried. Yeah, yeah. I know it sounds you. weird, but no, 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 it doesn't yeah. sound weird at all. It just kind of feels like you were kind of meant to be in a kind of way. It's kind of what they you need as a support. Um, that's right. The, the second part of the question was: Do you think those times that were really hard for you in that point, with the vandalization and and no money and having to round up, you know, cash for your dad. And do you think that's helped you both have perspective in this time of COVID-19 and, and seeing the challenge that the industry is going through um, and obviously changes to your business at the moment, Justin? Yeah. So that, that's a really good question because I think for us, you know, we've, we've been really down where we couldn't afford even petrol. Yeah. Um, so, like, we, we realised that, Right now, that's affected our, you know, COVID-19 has really affected our business. Um, but it's never going to impact it 
the way that it was and we're never right. going to hit that rock bottom. I mean, I mean, we could, like tomorrow the internet could crash and our whole business goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know what happens tomorrow, but we realise that it will never be that bad and we're not as, we're not, we don't carry that level of debt anymore and um, things like that. I think where a lot of venues are concerned with is that I think there's there's a lot in COVID-19. I think there's a lot of change coming from it and I think it'll spark a lot of energy. It'll spark a lot of um, a lot of fire in people because there is people that are in business that have been doing things a very clear way for so long and I think they will never, like, they, they can't behave the same and they have to adapt their business. So that's been really good and it's been reassuring and we're, we're giving advice to a lot of our customers on how to operate and even some are giving us advice, which is good. So cool. Um, that's been the best thing for us is it's given us tenacity through this whole thing. Cause we think, well, we've been through this before and we can, we can do it again. Yeah, totally agree. How do you, um, as we've, as we said through this podcast, your cider is very different to drink than most of what we most people what we say is cider and i think i'd really like your opinion on this but i think most of the cider that sits in the cub um predominant you know underneath those two big brands which control a lot of the alcohol in this country um put a heap of sugar in there because um um, they want people to drink more and therefore consume more volumes of their product and therefore that that gives them an easy win plus it probably makes them more profit margin in their in their product as well so it's a double win for them um the problem is that um if you have ciders that have a heap of sugar in it they make you feel um, like shit afterwards um yeah, correct now what i know of english cider or new world cider as you've been talking about during this podcast is that most english people will obviously the rates of consumption of of cider in england is exponential to australia um, that's right and I would imagine that most, the way I usually drink cider, to cut off this whole rant, the way I usually drink cider is to drink a cider first before I'll start drinking beer. Correct, yes. Right? Is, that, is that how most people will consume your product? And has is, and is that been hard because most people will just have one of your product in a, in, a, in, a public, in a venue rather than a beer or a wine where they might have two or three? that that's really interesting i think there's a lot of people that when they taste our cider they anticipate that they'll just have one uh and that's it or it's just sugary so i don't touch it and the great thing is is because cider is really a fruit wine Mm. so the way in which we make our cider is is like a wine so we've converted a lot of people that would normally drink a white wine um or a sour beer for example so We've been finding that people that have been consuming our product will have one and then another. And our rate of sale with cider is our, our stock turn is so much higher than other brands. And we get that feedback all the time because it's low sugar and people don't feel sick. Mm. But to your point, you know, like in, in France, for example, people might start their night on a cider or they might end their night on a cider and they go through a really big drink journey. Yes. Um, and, that's really what we are trying to create is that there's a lot of people that are very much against cider. And I really, I think there's a lot of people in Australia, particularly smaller producers that are really trying to change that. Um, and are producing a lot of really unique ciders to really change the perception in Australia. Um, 
so it is changing. It's a slow, it's a slow movement. And, um, you know, we, we definitely find that a lot of people that drink our cider will stay on it the whole night. Yeah. Do you, do you find it hard to, do you find it hard to compete in such a broad space? I was talking with, um, the founders of young Henry's back in, um, uh, early, early March, late February this year, um, about how they, um, you know, built their brand, um, you know, 10 plus years ago in Sydney um, and how many craft breweries are around then as opposed to craft breweries around now. Um, and my thinking is that a lot of craft breweries are starting because they want the big two to buy them out in the, in the period of time of, you know, three to five years, which is completely fine. Um, yes. But also leads to, you know, some bad decision making and usually not, not as great product. Like, is it, is it hard for you guys to play in a space which is so broad at the moment where we are talking about sour beers, where we are talking about different flavoured beers coming over from California um, and being, being made in Australia? Um, we're talking about mead, um, you know, all these different things. Is it, how do you guys cut through? Yeah, it's, it is really hard. Um, and it's very hard because I look at it as a drinks category. Like, mm-hmm. Even in wine in Australia, there's over 3,000 wineries, and mm. if all of them do 10 blends, that that you're competing against just wine, and that's you know, it's a very competitive in terms of drinks. But at the moment, that you're competing against gin, sour beer, uh, everything. So mm. it is really hard. So to get that cut through, it is really hard, and I think that's why originally we really went with that packaging idea because you have to have to stand out and you have to spark a conversation so when people just look at our bottle they, they say what is that and mm. um we do a lot of tastings in bottle shops and restaurants where we give people samples um all the time and a lot of people the first thing people say is like oh yeah i'd love to try that beer and we always <laughs> say oh no it's a, it's a cider and they say oh no no i'm right and I, and I say oh but have you tried our cider so once they actually understand that it's not a sweet cider and it's actually quite delicious that's easier, but I think we're lucky with our packaging to stand out um, because if you just look at the sour beer market right now, the packaging is incredible. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of those beers are really getting their voice time because of their packaging. Um, so it is, it is hard, it is, but trying to stay relevant, I think that's, that's, uh, that's the key to this um, and being loud about it. You know, we're posting on social media all the time. We're in venues, we're talking, we get around to all our venues most weeks i think some of our customers are sick of seeing us but <laughs> trying to stay relevant <laughs> yeah so it's definitely not a bad thing to see um uh, uh an alcohol rep trust me um especially <laughs> one that is passionate about it like you like you guys are it's um it's important um is there do you, how do you think your brand's going to change and evolve do you think have you guys thought about doing different um different blends into what, uh, you know, a lot of different brands are doing into, obviously you're in Yarra Valley. We're talking about strawberries. We could be talking about pears. We, you know, the obvious choices, like, do you think you'll move it to a canned format, which seems to be um, very normal in the, in the craft brewery space at the moment? Like, where do you think you'll change and evolve the brand? Absolutely. So um, like there's so many, this is the great thing is that we're part of an industry in terms of cider that's really not been explored that much. So mm-hmm. the possibilities for us is really endless. Mm-hmm. Like we could, we could explore with flowers. We could explore with different fruits. Um, we could do collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of a sustainability movement, cans is definitely where it's going. 
mm-hmm. um, and it's just a bit more environmentally friendly. So mm-hmm. we do see an opportunity to go into the can space um, and do more flavors. And even um, for us is even exploring products outside of the traditional cider market, you know, like who's to say we couldn't do, uh, you know, like a, like a flavored chocolate, for example, or, mm. you know, the, we really are, um, we, we call ourselves a new world cider and, and our, our motto is we're a whole new world of cider. <laughs> um, and so we really are trying to do a lot of product development, especially now with this downtime with COVID-19 mm. um, to really explore different opportunities within that. And what does that look like and really evolve it. And, you know, at the moment, our big thing at the moment is we've teamed up with a lot of different um, bars to do cocktails and we're really trying to explore this whole new world of cider and really rethink the whole category. Great, and there's a really big movement all around the world about rethinking cider. Um, and so, yeah, we will, we will be doing that. Um, and it will be very interesting. And it won't be so black and white, um, again, in terms of the flavour. We, we won't do a traditional flavour. We will do something very interesting and really challenge the whole industry and, and challenge the, the commercial drink space. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. Um, on that, uh, I, I suppose my last question to you, Justin, in, in these times that we're, um, struggling as an industry, we're in, you know, we're in limbo at the moment, trying to figure out where our place will be. And especially in sit down venues, which, um, uh, you know, we don't know whether we're going to be allowed 33% capacity, 50% capacity and for how long, you know, um, it's going to be a very challenging time up until the end of 2020, I think. Um, where do you see your positioning of your brand and what are you seeing in the marketplace at the moment? Yeah, we're really lucky because our product is a, is a take home drink um, mm. and it's really about getting the brand in the hand. So we're really lucky that, that we, we aren't in that space of tap business. We don't, we don't run taps on mm. our ciders. So we are quite lucky that it's all packaged, packaged goods. Um, so definitely the way that it is moving is, is taking away that, uh, take take home method um and we're going to see a lot of venues that will close there's no doubt about Mm, that um there are some that are trading up into the wall already and i Mm -hmm. and i anticipate about 50 percent of of bars and restaurants will close permanently Mm, yeah right um but the the great thing is is that a lot of these businesses are pivoting their business they're very Mm. quick and very tenacious in their approach um so we're seeing a lot of venues that have pivoted into bottle shops um, or they might have a great thing. Um, for example, there might be a restaurant where people love the bread and they're now selling the bread. Um, so in those instances, that impacts us because they're not selling alcohol, they're more selling their food. Mm. Um, but in venues where they have pivoted to um, packaged goods, I'll give you an example. Like you've got Neptune in Paran. Yeah, who great venue. People love their pasta, they love their sauce. And so mm-hmm. you can go in there, it's now a retail space and yeah. we're a part of that retail space. So that's good for us. Mm. Um, so in terms of the retail um, food and beverage industry, that's great. But um, there's, definitely, there's definitely not going to be some people that will survive. And I would say to people listening is that you have to think about pivoting your business to make it adaptable in these times. Um, and... Packaged alcohol is a, is a great one. It's a it's a really good one at the moment. Um, obviously, the the rates of people drinking, um, whichever way you look at it, is up. You know, which way you look at a positive or a negative is definitely up. Um, I think there'll be a lot of um, direct to consumer brands that will um, 
the come out of this, Justin, and um, I'm glad you guys started with it rather than trying to adapt now. So it's a really cool thing. Um, what is the best way that people can find out about the brand and what you guys are doing? So the best way um, is to check us out on Instagram. Our handle is at Arquitecta. Mm-hmm. Um, we're updating our website over this period. Um, so definitely go jump on our website. We're going to be uploading a whole bunch of cocktails uh, that you can make at home with our cider. Cool. Um, and not just, in fact, our cider, a whole bunch of ciders. Um, it doesn't have to be ours, which is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, independent bottle shops is definitely the best place to find us. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, definitely. I think for us, like, where we're positioned as well is we're in some really great venues that are really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. So most of you probably follow them or have been involved in them or have dined there or whatever. So you will find out our product in there and, and definitely ask about it. But our website is probably the best place to go or our Instagram. Beautiful. And linked up in this bio as always so people can find it. Justin Ostrom, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.